It is a delight to be with you, and thank you for the invitation to come to Olive Branch. There is a South Haven Church of Christ and an Olive Branch Church of Christ in South Haven, and you can get confused pretty quick on that one, can't you? I'm glad we ended up at the right place. We've been at both places, and it's such a, just a joy to look into your faces this morning and to see your smiles, to worship together. Brother, I want to sit next to you a while during eternity, just to hear that voice. Praise. There you go. <laughs> to hear you sing. Man, this guy's got a voice. Amen? Amen? You are blessed to have a song leader like that. We love to worship at the Spring Meadows Church of Christ. In point of fact, on Sunday, we, we do things a tad differently. At Spring Meadows, we have nothing but worship on Sunday morning. And we worship for an hour and a half. We will sing about 13 or 14 songs, just one after another after another. It is a joy to worship God. We return on Sunday night and we focus, we do deep dives into our individual Bible classes for children all the way up to adults. But it's these times of worship where we can open up our hearts to God regardless of our voices and let Him know how much we love Him. The word translated worship carries the idea of blowing a kiss to God. So I like to think of worship as the sacrifice of my heart to my heavenly Father. And it helps us draw even closer to Him to be here today and enjoy occasions like this. The passage under study, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Of course, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Take pause. He said, in reality, I have been given the right to tell you what to do and what not to do. Therefore, based upon that authority, He tells us what to do. He gives us one command. Here's the command. Go ye therefore and command, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, even unto the end of the world. There's one command there, and that is make disciples. And there are three participles telling us how to do that. Go, invest in people's lives. Baptize, immerse those who believe in Jesus and are willing to change the way they think and live. Repent, and do so for the forgiveness of sins, of course, as the New Testament teaches. And then teach these folks to observe everything that I have, past tense, commanded you. Commanded in reference to what? Make disciples. Commanded in reference to being a disciple. So we're commanded to make disciples by investing in people's lives, baptizing those who are willing to believe in Jesus, repent of their past, being forgiven for the forgiveness of sins by being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and then teaching them to do what Jesus meant by the word disciple. Now, before we go any farther, if you have your Bible soft program on your computer or your iPad or your uh, iPhone, I give you a challenge. Go to the concordance in your Bible soft program 
and turn to the word evangelize. I want you to find out how many times the word evangelize is used in the New Testament. You say you don't have a Bible soft program on your iPhone? That's okay. Let me tell you how many times the word evangelize is found in the New Testament. Not one time. So let's turn to the way to, to look for the word evangelism. Evangelism. How many times will we find the word evangelism? Not one time. You will find the word evangelist, such as 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. But there the word simply means an announcer of something that is good. Now, I want you to pause for a moment and think with me. Forever we have reveled in what is called the restoration plea. Brethren, do Bible things in Bible ways. Amen? Call Bible things by Bible names. Amen? But the word evangelize is never found in the Bible. Evangelism is never found in the Bible. I tell you what is. Make disciples. This has become a passion with me in my latter years of life and preaching. Because forever in my 52, three-year ministry, I have attended evangelism workshops, evangelism seminars. I have individuals share with me various plans and programs that they believe is the best way we can reach the hearts of people today and evangelize them for Jesus. And we are no better at it than we were 50 years ago. In fact, we probably aren't doing it as well. And I'll tell you why. We're not going about doing it the right way. Our emphasis is preach to them about Jesus and get them in the water and baptize them. And then from that point, let's help them be good Christians. No, no, that is not what Jesus commissions us to do. He says, you go invest in people's lives. And you preach the gospel to every creature, Mark says. And you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you teach them to do everything that I have commanded relative to the subject of discipleship. Being a disciple. You go make disciples. I believe with all of my heart. If we capture the essence of make disciples we are going to fulfill the ministry and do the work of an evangelist because we've got a good news message to announce. So I want to, I want to encourage us to refine the paradigm, to, alter, to, alterly, to, to utterly change the culture of our congregations, to go about thinking about this in an entirely different way. Not shaming ourselves because we don't evangelize. 
motivating ourselves to go and evangelize. No, let's encourage ourselves to be what Jesus means by the word disciple. And then encourage others to be what Jesus means by the word disciple. It is my belief that if we march down that path, we will begin to turn the world upside down in ways as never before dreamed. Now, as we saw in our Bible class hour, the word disciple is one that Jesus used very infrequently. Outside of saying twice in parallel accounts, you go and tell this man that the Lord and his disciples need this room to partake of the Passover. And then our passage, go make disciples. Jesus actually used the word disciple only nine times. There may be a parallel passage or two with these nine. And so it's my belief that we need to spend some time with those nine passages to see what Jesus meant by the word disciple. Now here's where we have been already this morning. We have looked to Matthew chapter 10 where three times Jesus uses the word disciple. And in so doing, He teaches us this is what He had in mind by that word. First of all, a disciple is someone who listens to His teacher. And so if I'm to be a disciple, if I'm to encourage you to be a disciple, we are going to be individuals who say, we're going to let Jesus tell us what to believe and how to behave or live. Could I take pause? Maybe you're thinking this morning about making some changes in your life religiously. Wonderful. You want to become closer to God, more like Jesus. Tremendous. And you know that you come here with a lot of baggage. Get in line. We all at one time were that way. And you want all of your past taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. You want to be forgiven by God. You want His grace to flow into and through your life. Amen to that. For that to happen, you must be willing to let Jesus tell you what to do for the forgiveness of sins. Nobody else. You want to be His disciple. You have to listen to Him and let him tell you how to become one. And of course, he said in our passage of interest, I'm sorry, one hand don't work as good as two. He says in our passage, go make disciples baptizing them. A parallel passage would be Mark 16, verse 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. This is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition, you'll find those words in red letters. Jesus said, to be a disciple, you have to believe in me and be baptized to be saved from your past. Now, Jesus said that. And so this morning, do you believe in Jesus with all of your heart? Wonderful. Have you been immersed in water to have all of your sins taken away, to be saved from your past. Jesus tells you to do that. And if you want to be His disciple and a Christian, that's what you must do listening to Him. Many of us have been there. 
So we continue, and a, a disciple, Jesus says, is somebody that looks like me. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. Not just I'm going to listen to Jesus, I want to look like Jesus. And so I need to ask if I've already become a Christian, or if I'm thinking about becoming one, have I been showing people the heart of Jesus? Is that who they see in me? Can I say with Paul, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain? Can I say with Paul, it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me? If you're wanting to become a Christian, that's your challenge. Yes, listen to Jesus as one who believes in Him. Be immersed in water to be saved from your past, forgiven. And then from that moment, start showing people the heart of Jesus by the way you work with and interact with them. And then we learn that in the mind of the Lord, He used the word disciple to mean someone who lives as He lived. That is, reaching out to these little ones living in behalf of, connecting to the marginalized of society. And so a disciple is somebody that lives the way Jesus lives and is comfortable with everyone and someone that makes everyone comfortable with them. But now for the next few minutes, let's turn to a second chapter where Jesus uses the word disciple and does so no less than three times. Turn with me in your New Testaments to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, I want us to begin by looking at verse 25. Verse 25. It kind of sets the pace for what we're about to read. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and then I'm going to begin reading Jesus' use of the word disciple. In verse 25, it says, great crowds, large groups of people. Not a great crowd, but large groups, plural crowds, accompanied him. There was a bunch of folks here and a bunch of folks there and a bunch of folks over there. Great crowds accompanied him. Literally, they traveled with him. And the verb that is used is a verb in a tense that means they continually engaged in the process of traveling with Jesus. We have a word for that today. We call them groupies. I'm going to test your age. Okay? Now, there's some that know the answer to this and some don't have a clue. How many of you, raise your hand if you are acquainted with the rock group, former rock group, the Grateful Dead? Huh? Yeah, there's not, you got gray hair, yeah. If you followed the Grateful Dead and you were a groupie of the Grateful Dead, what were you called? You were called a deadhead. That's right. Because you were constantly, wherever they were in concert, if they were close, boom, there you were. You were a groupie. You were a deadhead. Therefore, the Grateful Dead. But speaking respectfully, just to get a concept of what's happening here, multitudes of people were constantly going wherever Jesus went. And if people heard that He was in the area, boom, they would flock to where He was. Now, it says, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said. The verb that is used for turned is different than the word that is used for accompanied or traveled. They continued to be with him, accompanying him, traveling with him. And he 
the verb means he stopped, spur the moment, and turned to them. I mean, here, everywhere he goes, he sees these crowds. I mean, yeah, they're there. I, saw, I, I remember you. Yes, you're still, are you still with us? You're over here. And he stops in the spur of the moment and he turns to them and says, hey, that's the backdrop to what we're about to read. He tells us in the remaining verses of the context what he means by the word disciple. And he says to these people that are constantly following him as groupies, hey, if you want to really be my disciple, this is what I mean by that word, and this is what it's going to take. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, we saw three verses that tell us how to make a disciple. Listen to Jesus, look like Jesus, live as Jesus. Now we're about to look at three verses that tell us what it takes to remain a disciple. If you're here and you're thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus, that excites me and I'm sure others here as well. But I'm going to tell you what it's going to take. And you're going to have to be willing to pay the price, count the cost and pay the price to be who Jesus wants you to be. Full transparency. There are going to be some changes that need to be made in your life. And if you are here as a Christian and you say you have been a Christian for years and you can't see these features in your life, then what are you about? And what has this all been about for you? This is what it's going to take to be who Jesus wants me to be when he uses the word disciple. I look at verse 26, and there's the first word. Anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, well, does not hate, that's what he says, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my, here's the word, disciple. What does it take to be a disciple, to remain a disciple? You must hate. Brother Dan, Jesus doesn't teach us to hate. That's what it says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, but I thought Jesus teaches us to love. Love one another. Love one another as you love yourself. Two great commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as yourself. What do you mean Jesus teaches us to hate? The parallel passage, of course, would be Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, which uses the terminology, loves more. This, of course, is Jesus using emphatic terminology to put a bold exclamation mark behind His words. You see, back in the Bible times, they didn't have computers. And they couldn't put, push, control, B, and begin to type in bold letters. They couldn't push, control, I, and begin to type in italicized letters. And so they would make emphasis of their words in different ways as they spoke. Sometimes they would paint word pictures that were just 
I mean, dramatic and emphatic. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. We call it hyperbole, where he is emphasizing his point to make his point. His point is, you have to love me more than anybody else in your life. You have to love me more than your mother and your daddy. You have to love me more than your brother or your sister. You have to love me more than your children or your spouse. You have to love me more than you love your own self. Wow. I know that he loved me and gave himself for me, Revelation 1 verse 5. But here he says, you have to love me more than anyone else in your life, self-included. And then he continues, if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. Now those words literally are more prescriptive than prohibitive. The word that Jesus uses, cannot be, doesn't mean you are not given the permission. You are not allowed to be. That's not what he's saying. The word that Jesus uses, translated cannot be, actually carries the idea of power. And so he, he, he is saying here, it, dunamai, dunamis, dunamao, Dynamite, some people say. Power. Jesus is saying, if you don't love me more than anyone else in your life, if you don't love me more than your own self, hear me, you don't have what it takes to be my disciple. You don't have the power to be what I think when I say disciple. So let's pause for a moment. At camp we used to sing, Oh girls, do you love Jesus? And the girls would reply, Oh yes, we love Jesus. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to ask it. Ladies, I don't know you well enough to call you by name, but I'm talking to you. Do you really love Jesus? Gentlemen, don't know you by name, but I'm talking to you. Do you really love Jesus? That's what it takes.
to be what he calls or thinks when he says disciple. Now the next verse gives me a second time that he uses it in our context. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Of course, we remember that a cross was not a piece of of jewelry that people wore around their necks in the times of Jesus. It was an implement of execution. It was a tool of death that was invited into the Roman culture by the Persians, and the Romans did their dead-level best to make it even more infamous and brutal a way of execution. And so when Jesus says, bear your own cross, he's talking about this concept of dying to self. I'm reminded of a passage in the book of Matthew where Jesus says, If any man would come unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Look at that passage carefully. There must be a decision. If anyone would. Have you decided you want to come to me? Okay, great. Make that decision. You've decided you want to do this? If anyone comes unto me, next there's a denial. Let him deny himself. And the word deny that Jesus uses is the same word the Holy Spirit used in reference to Jesus, deny, Peter denying Jesus. Peter says, I know not the man. I must be make, making a decision. I want to follow Jesus. And I must say to myself, I disavow, disavow any identity with this person. Who this person was, what this person wanted, I am not, I will not be anymore. A decision, a denial. If anyone comes unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. There's a death. I die to self. That's why Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. He said that as a living man. He was a living dead man because he crucified himself to and for Christ. A decision, a denial, and a death. Then a discipleship. If anyone would come unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. That's what I'm reading about here. This idea of being totally consumed by Jesus. You don't see me anymore. I don't live. I'm reminded of my friend back in Fort Worth, Texas. Mark Bird. Mark and Kit Bird where they grew up, as many in the 60s, in the, the hippie environment. And I was, he obeyed the gospel. He came out of that, and Kip as well. He came out of that background, being converted to the Lord by Andrew Connolly. They were baptized for the taking away of their past. And both decided to go to preaching school. So they went to Brown Trail School of Preaching. And upon graduation... He was hired to be the associate minister where I preached. Just a delight to work with. Wonderful. I was in his office one day, and there's a picture of uh, a couple on his bookshelf, and it looked like Sonny and Cher. You remember the way Sonny and Cher used to? Again, that will date you. The, the big, wide bell bottoms, and she wore hair down to here, and he wore hair down to here. <laughs> And you didn't know who was who, and even the voices sound alike. Sonny, it looked like Sonny and Cher on that picture. I looked at it. I said, Mark, Mark. By the way, between the two, there was a bong. 
Now, one time I didn't know what that was. I had to be told. You know what a bong, don't raise your hand, but you know what a bong is. I mean, that's what they use to smoke marijuana. So here's Mark and Kip Bird before conversion to Jesus, and between them is a bong that they use to smoke their marijuana. I looked at that, I said, Mark, is that you? Is that you? He said, no. That man is dead. That's what I'm reading in this passage. That man is dead. Paul said, this man is dead. And Jesus said, let me tell you what it's going to take to be what I mean by the word disciple. I mean, you're going to have to love me more than anybody else in your life, yourself included. And as a result, you're going to have to be totally consumed by me. So the others see me in you. Maybe Paul's words in Colossians 3 verse 4 puts it into place for us here where Paul tells us, of course, that we are to seek things that are above where Christ is. That's the very reason we want to go to heaven because it's where Jesus is. And then he goes on and talks about Jesus and says, Christ, who is our life? You remember the anacronym? Let's see, joy, J-O-Y. What does joy stand for? What does J, oh, J stand for? What does J stand for? Jesus first, right? O, other second. Why? Yourself last. There's nothing, nothing, nothing biblical about that. Jesus is never satisfied with being first. He is everything. He is our life. He's not first in our lives. He is our life. And that's what He says, what He thinks when He uses the word disciple. It's what it's going to take. You're going to have to love Him more than anyone else in your life. And others are going to have to see you as one consumed by Jesus. So pause. Are you eaten up in your relationship with Jesus? How many times last week did you even mention His name outside of this facility? We will never be disciples making disciples until as disciples we are eaten up with Jesus and it's just as natural to speak of Jesus and share thoughts about Jesus, share our own experiences in life because of Jesus as naturally as we breathe, brethren. That's discipleship. And then one more time, in Luke chapter 14, we drop down to verse 33. So therefore, he kind of sums it up, doesn't he? There are two parables that he uses here. Of course, the parable of the man that started to build a tower, didn't have the money to finish, and as a result, he uh, was a mockery. A parable that said, count the cost before you start. 
And then the second parable about a king who uh, had a certain number of soldiers and he was going out to meet another king that had more soldiers and he begins to sit down and calculate, do I have what it takes with my army to conquer that army unless, if not, I send out an ambassador and we make for a treaty of peace. You not only count the cost, but you're willing to pay the price. Two parables that make that statement. And then he says, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Renounce. Set aside. In other words, everything that I have, I filter through my relationship with Jesus. I think about Brother Paul Tucker back in, in Nashville years ago. Brother Tucker and I worked together for years at Creve Hall. Wonderful servant of the Lord. His sons came to him whenever they were at college and they said, could so-and-so uh, live in our basement? They don't have the money to stay in the dorms. Could they live in our basement? Brother Tucker said, well, sure. It's not my basement. It's the Lord's. That's not my car. It belongs to the Lord. I'm going to use it accordingly. That's not my basement. That's the Lord's. I'm going to use it accordingly. You need a coat? Here, borrow mine or use mine. Have mine. It's not mine anyway. It's the Lord's. Everything that we have, we see as something that belongs to Him and something that can be used to exalt Him and glorify our Father. That's what it takes. Love me more than anyone else in your life. Be consumed in your relationship for and living with me and be loyal to me more than anyone or anything else in your life. If not, you just don't have what it takes. Now, you know why we don't evangelize? You know why we're not as involved in evangelism? You know why we're not individually, you, me, why we are not involved as we should in making disciples? It might be we don't have what it takes to even be one ourselves. But I don't think that's true. I think we do have what it takes. It just we just need a little prodding, a little reminding, because by and large we're good people and we want to please our Heavenly Father. This is what it takes. So let's close by looking at verses 34 and 35 together. I find it interesting that Jesus telling me what it takes to be what He means by the word disciple is followed up by these two words. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Paraphrased. Are you listening to me, Jesus says? Are you listening to me? Are you listening to what I say about what it takes to be a disciple? 
I find it interesting that he talks about salt, and he still calls it salt. He said salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, it's still seen as salt, but it's lost its saltiness, its taste. And he says if it's lost its saltiness, its taste, it can't be restored. It is of no use. I'm talking to you as a brother in Jesus. And I'm speaking to you as a sister in the Lord. You're still seen by others, if not one another here, as Christian, as disciple. But have you lost your saltiness? Are you a disciple in keeping with what Jesus says? Do you love Him more than anybody else? Are you consumed by Him so that that's all anybody can see in you? Is everything you have His and used accordingly? Have you lost your saltiness? If you're there, you just might get to the point you can't be restored. Brother Dan, I don't believe that. Take it up with the Lord. He said it. And you are of no use to Him or to the kingdom without your saltiness. This is serious stuff. And so I'm going to leave you with the questions. Do you love Jesus more than anybody else in your life? Speaking to you as someone that's already a Christian. If not, this invitation is yours. Are you totally consumed by our Lord so that they see Him in you? If not, this invitation is yours. Is everything that is yours filtered in your mind through the concept of that's His and I'm going to use it accordingly? If not, this invitation is yours. If you want to recapture your saltiness, don't reach the point you cannot be restored or you're nothing more than a farce living in behalf of our Father. And He doesn't want us to be that way, does He? So you make the mind up yourself. You know yourself more than anyone else. And if the Lord reaching out to you this morning through His Word makes this invitation yours, let us help you as we stand together and as we sing.